Hi guys, I'd like to take a second to tell you about our very first sponsor here on Menace to Sobriety. I thought long and hard about who to choose to put on this podcast and put out to you guys. And I've picked this for a very specific reason, because it's brilliant. I want to introduce you to the Morale app. This is an app where you can literally send great morale to your buddies. You can anonymously ping over messages to lift your friend's morale. It's brilliant. Ideal for this podcast and the viewers. The Morale app is an antidote to social media and an app designed to enhance human connection with your friends and combat loneliness. It's one of the biggest aids to mental fitness and for many people in recovery is a sense of community, closeness and connection with others and Morale is designed with the user in mind not like other social media platforms. Download the app and add your friends to improve yours and theirs motivation every day. The Morale app basically Ping your pal some morale. Just a menace, ju- just a menace. Menace of sobriety. Just a menace, ju- just a menace. Just a menace, menace of sobriety. Just a menace, ju- just a menace. Menace of sobriety. Hello and welcome to Menace to Sobriety. We're in a new studio. I feel like I'm sitting in a bush, but we're excited because uh, I've got an amazing guest here from an absolutely colossal podcast. Please welcome to the stage, Francis Foster from the Trigonometry <laughs> Podcast and an exceptionally well-known and talented comedian. <laughs> See how I chucked that in there yeah, for you? Yeah, you did. How are you doing, Dan? You're all right, yeah, mate. Good, good. Um, listen, it's a pleasure to have you on here yeah. as, a, as a fellow podcaster. I admire, admire what you guys mm. do on your podcast. For those of you that don't know Trigonometry, it's like, um, I don't know, how would you describe it? Like a free speech um platform podcast but i mean i mean you go into all sorts of different issues and everything like that it's funny um and uh also uh we actually know each other we'd met years ago hadn't we yeah we met years ago mate right yeah. it was probably about 2011 i think i was still an estate agent yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> yeah it's a mutual friend of ours a gentleman lovely man by the name of andy zapp introduced yeah. us and then you were running a gig at the jam tree yeah yeah and yeah. you would give it yeah it was great it was yeah. great yeah and yeah. i won 50 quid so Did I was, you? Yeah, yeah oh there you go look i told you he's yeah. a good comedian yeah. yeah so there you go so well, i remember that yeah that's a little known information in the comedy world that i actually am a comedian myself as yeah. well <laughs> do you know what and I mean? that you're a, you were a decent bloke i remember when when it all when you know you, you, that awful thing happened where yeah. you know you're on tour and then people you because you were one of the very first people to go through the cancellation i thing. think i was the first comedian to get cancelled definitely yeah yeah, yeah yeah in particular the way it happened to mm. you and i remember people going he's this he's that and i remember thinking i've met him a couple of times he's a really nice guy and they're going what people say yeah and what the person you were I remember going, this doesn't make sense nah. at all. And then the more you, you see it happen to other people, the more you realise, yeah, that, that's yeah. standard. It's, it's mad, isn't it? Because, uh, and you t- I know that you guys have covered this loads, but yeah. I, I mean, it's mad because now as a comedian, you can't, like what I used to love about comedy was being able to create fictional scenarios in my mind yeah. in order to write a joke, you know? Yeah. Like I, 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 the Dapper Last character was created around the sort of premise that I was sleeping with loads of women and, and really good at pulling birds and shagging and stuff. Yeah. And that was never the case. Yeah. But, uh, but I created that in order to, to make punchlines about lads being shit at, uh, shit at doing stuff like that and, and looking silly. But that was taken as fact. The comedy was taken as fact. Do you know what I mean? My punchlines and my jokes were taken as a reflection of who I am and what my, and, and, and it's the same now, isn't it? You go on stage and you write comedy, you can't really make up hypothetical situations do you know what I mean? Or no, you no, run the risk. Yeah, of course, of it, course. We all run that gauntlet and yeah. we all know that, 
potentially this could be our last gig. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. I remember when I was working at a comedy club and uh, there were three of the very biggest comedians uh, mm. in the green room and I knew them all and we got on well. And I remember them, and bear in mind, this was 2018, so this is, what, five years ago now? Yeah. And they were all terrified about the, fa the jokes that they had out there for a while Oh, wow. And, and, uh, coming back to bite them in the arse. Coming back to bite them. And this was some of the biggest comedians in the UK. And I wouldn't even say they were particularly edgy. And one, and one of them was an ethnic minority. Mm. So people will put forward that, oh, it's just white men, blah, blah, blah. Now, th this guy was absolutely terrified as well. Wow. Because th so that's then, where we are now. So, so there's comedians out there right now that are like, Hoping they blow up, but kind of like, I fucking hope I don't blow up too much. Or if I do blow up, I'm fucked. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because <laughs> yeah. let's be honest, we're all human beings, Dan. We all yeah. make mistakes. We all yeah. say things that are problematic. We all yeah. say things that we haven't th thought through. Yeah. As comedians, we put stuff out there. When you look back on it a couple of years down the line, yeah. you think, well, that probably wasn't a good idea. Yeah, yeah mate, I've got loads of that. <laughs> yeah. And also, things are a reflection of the time that they were created in. Mm. Listen, you know, criticizing somebody for making off-colour jokes in 1992, yeah. well, you're judging a tw yeah. 1992 joke by a 2023 yeah. standard. That isn't particularly fair. Yeah, and also the comedian changes, do you know what I mean? Like, grows up. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, what I found funny back when I was living with my friends, you know, drinking and doing drugs and going out and chasing birds, yeah. is very different to what I find funny now being a father and married and having two kids. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I was even thinking recently, I used to do six second sex secrets where it used to be like six, six, six secrets. And then I'd teach men about, you know, little tips about shagging. And I was thinking about rehashing it and doing like six second sex secrets, like married edition. Yeah. And just be like, take the bins out. Like, do you know what I mean? And that like, but, but uh, but you know but it's it's funny because it's it's true isn't it you know yeah. what you know how can you judge a comedian on I mean I'm probably going to get it now do you know what I mean now that I'm back out going back out and yeah. you know ten years ago I said some dumb shit but I was pretty dumb ten years ago you know what I mean we all were we yeah. all were and that's not about race gender ethnicity or anything like that it's about being human because I hate to break it to people listening to it when you were eighteen nineteen. Or as a man, right until about the age of 37, you're pretty, <laughs> yeah. you're pretty fucking stupid. Yeah. It's only when you, you get older, you're like, hang on a minute. Yeah. You yeah. know? And But you've got to, if you don't let people go through that stage yeah. of being an idiot and actually making the mistakes, then yeah. how are you going to become a fully formed adult? It's impossible. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that we talk about this because your, um, your podcast, I mean, your podcast really is, it's, it's, internationally known now yeah. i mean you were um you were on the joe rogan podcast weren't you yeah we were on rogan in uh july mid-july wow july. How, how was that how did that happen talk me through that and i haven't seen that episode so tell me what happened and is he as crazy as he seems i'd love to be <laughs> uh joe is uh the reason joe is so big like people will, will come up with all these you know reasons why and it's because he the person that you see on that screen on your yeah. phone when you're watching it yeah that's who you meet in real life. Right, okay. It's the same geezer. There is literally no difference between Joe Rogan, the podcaster, yeah. and Joe Rogan, the bloke. Right. And as a result of that... The authenticity comes through the podcast. Yeah, of course, because yeah. you feel you know Joe Rogan. Of course you don't, but you know, you kind of know him. Yeah, and that's that. And that's why it cuts through. That's why he's got such cut through. He doesn't pretend to be anybody else. 
He doesn't pretend to be smarter than he is. He doesn't pretend to be more well-informed. Mm. He's basically a version of us going and talking to someone who's incredibly intelligent, whether it's someone like Elon Musk or a, mm. or a gimp like me, and just going, right, yeah. <laughs> what yeah. do you think? And, what... mm. and that's why it's so popular. And when I met him, I found him incredibly inspiring as a person because what he's trying to do is he's trying to make comedy better. He's trying to get people up to his level. He's basically giving people an opportunity, giving them a huge platform to come and speak on his podcast. He's built a huge comedy club in Austin so that comedians can come and perform there wow. and so they can have more of a platform. The guy's wow. inspirational, man. He's a... I really liked him. I thought he was a top bloke, if I'm honest. Yeah, I uh, well, that's how I discovered podcasts, man, by you know, by seeing the clips of his stuff and yeah. getting on uh, and, and watching it. And I like the way that he's not afraid to embarrass himself by like voicing his opinions and stuff. That, like for instance, the stuff he talks about about like conspiracy theories and aliens yeah. and stuff like that. There's a lot of people out there that might see stuff and they'd be like, hmm, but he fully goes in and yeah. like, you know what I mean, which can seem you can well. You can be called crazy for all that stuff, but also, how, what did you talk about? What did he? What did it? Was it about your podcast? Yeah, so we opened uh, with grooming gangs. Wow! <laughs> wow! What on his podcast? Yeah, so we opened with grooming gangs, nice and soft, nice and easy, wow, mate. Yeah, well, that's in the press today, isn't it? Yeah, about, yeah, yeah, it yeah. is. It is. So we talked because we've we've interviewed two grooming gang survivors. Mm. Um. So yeah. So we we talked about that. Uh. We then moved into the whole pedo stuff. Mate, you oh great, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's like an open mic gig, mate. <laughs> Not anymore. Yeah, yeah. Two, circa 2011. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he challenged my knowledge on the old pedo stuff. Well, I, I've said, sorry, mate, I've got to school you on this one. Was it Hollywood pedo stuff? No, no, mate. It was like, I'm a Catholic boy, aren't I? So right, uh, okay. he, he, he tried to challenge me about the um, age of consent at the Vatican City. I'm like, move over, mate. This is my area of speciality. Yeah. Fucking hell. <laughs> Until a few years ago, 12 years old. Of course what? it was. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, go on. Go on. <laughs> Where'd it go? Yeah, yeah. So, so we, we talked about that. <laughs> we then talked about the comedy industry in this country. Yeah. And uh, I told the truth. And then subsequently, every comedian, well, not every comedian, but there were a lot of very angry comedians with me. What did you, wait, let me guess what the truth is, that majority of comedians are shit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and too afraid to say anything funny. Yeah. Wow, is that what you said? Yeah, what? yeah, yeah. He said, uh, why do all comedians suck, British comedians suck, apart from a few obsep uh, exceptions? And I laughed and went, yeah, they do. Yeah. Because it's relative as well. Be mm. When you compare the great American comics to our comics, yeah. I don't think there's any comparison. And obviously, mm. I could have put that in a more nuanced way and I could have gone into it and explained yeah. the reasons why and said, look, you know, you embrace free speech more in that country because you've got a First Amendment. Whereas here, you know, people like Count Dankula have quite literally been prosecuted for jokes. Mm. We've seen good comedians being non-platformed, as in the case of Alfie Brown last week, having his gigs cancelled. Uh, but I don't like them. And I thought, fuck it. Yeah. Well, well fair play to you. Fair yeah. play to you. And the truth, the truth of the matter is, I think uh, the truth of the matter is, is I mean, for me, for me, especially as a comedian, is mm. I like to. Uh, I think when I go and watch stand-up comedy, I don't want to hear. I, I, I don't particularly want to listen to something that I fucking hear everyday people talking about and discussing. Yeah. I, I go to watch comedy to to be shocked a little bit. Do you know what I mean? To cool. be shocked, like you know, it's it's. So when you go in and people are talking, I mean, it either has to be shocking for me or it has to be really relatable mm. that someone hasn't touched on. Mm. You know what I mean? Or ironic, but. I find that the more people try and be 
politically correct and woke and stuff like that, the less funny it is. Of course it is, because the, for me, the funniest com comedy is when you hear somebody go, I can't believe they've just said that. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I can't believe that. I remember when I was at university and I never, I was never really into stand-up comedy as a kid. Mm. And it was, I was 18 years old, I was uni, and my mate James uh, said to me, oh, you, you've got to watch Chris Rock. And I was like, because he, he, he knew I love comedy. And I was like, Chris Rock, isn't he that guy who's just in all those shit movies? Mm. And he went, no, he's a stand-up. So James went, come round to my, come round to my, my room and, uh, with my mates and uh, we'll hang out. Now, James is black and all his mates were black. So we, I went in, I was the only white bloke in the room and he put on, I think the, uh, the special was called Chris Rock, Bring the Pain mm. with the uh, black people versus the N-word routine. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. I know it, yeah. Yeah, and... He was doing it, and they, they were watching him do that, and they were dying of laughter, dying of laughter. Four or five black lads doubled up, mm. and I'm looking around going, am I allowed to laugh? Am I not? Is this too on the knuckle? Is this, yeah. you know, having a yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. meltdown, yeah, yeah. right? But to me, that is the beauty of stand-up yeah, yeah. comedy, you know, yeah, yeah. Where, where you have... Where you're not sure, yeah. Where you're not sure, and it's transgressive, yeah. and, it, and it plays with these subjects, and, and the moment mm. you feel safe and... Can I laugh? Can I not? And it, it's well, beautiful. I, yeah, I, I think it I think it takes you out of the stress and the yeah. and, and the pressure of normal life. Yeah. You know, when a comedian when a comedian's got like on the on the fucking lead up about yeah. to drop the punch on, you know it's going somewhere that it shouldn't, and you're like, oh fucking hell, I hope he don't. Then he does. You're like, ha ha ha. You it's like you're kind of you're you're finally free from the pressures of the fucking norm. Yeah. I, and I like I personally myself, I've done um I done a gig the other day, uh, Comedy Unleashed. Yep. And my first sort of twenty of uh, the new tour, I was practicing bits, practicing bits, and I was a little bit like, I mean, it's one of them gigs where you can kind of go mm. as you want. And uh, I didn't settle into it until I really stopped giving a fuck. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's that's where I can perform at my best. Where like I'll come in, I do my, I do my material, but I'm still. I feel like if I'm thinking too much about what I should and shouldn't be saying, the audience can feel it. And they can, they can, and I'd feel like, how do you negotiate that? What do you do when you do your stand up? Do you, do you try and be well, well rehearsed with your, with your setups and mm. your punchlines? Or do you kind of chuck it all in there? Cause I know you've got ADHD like me, we'll get yeah. into it in a minute. But do, or do you put it all in there and then just try and let it come out freely as it does? Well, I'm actually, I love writing. See, I, I never understood comedians who said I hate writing. Cause mm. to me, what you're saying is that you hate being creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if, and for somebody like me, you know, who grew up where I grew up, like a low middle class, working class part of South London, mm. the, the ability to have the day off and write and be creative Love is it. a greatest gift anyone could have. Yeah. You know, my dad never had that chance. My dad was a working class boy from Wigan in the north of England. Yeah. The, for him, the opportunity to sit down and write and be creative, that, he never had that chance. No. So he worked so that I could have that chance. So for me to then complain about that was 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 insane. Was, was insane. It was baffling, and I just love writing so much. I love playing with ideas. So when I go on stage, I love doing new material. I love writing. Mm. I love the process of crafting jokes. Mm. I love writing a wicked joke, mm. and then the the audience all laugh. And that to me is the biggest. Yeah, buzz. You, 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 yeah, me too. You feel like you feel like I'm meant to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 When, when but it's, it's, the process starts yeah. from the idea, then go. Do you, are you like me that you, if you see a new book like a pad yeah. and it's nice, you're like, I got to buy it. Yeah, and, oh, you, yeah. and you end up with hundreds of books, half ha written, half hundreds of books, fountain pens. I love oh, writing with mate, a fountain. Yeah, that's. I, I guess that, I don't know if that's an ADHD thing yeah. or a comedy yeah. thing, but 
I, my missus is like, really? Yeah. Like, if we're shopping, really, do you need another one? I'm like, look at it, though. That'll be filled full, <laughs> full, full of jokes soon. She's like, I bet it won't. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Do you but know yeah. moleskin? You know moleskin pads? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. They're, yeah. they're very good. But and, and that's what I love doing. Mm. And, I, and I've started more and more to, to mm. kind of be a little bit more transgressive. You know, I, I, like in my last tour, I, I did a joke about, you know, is that every culture has its strengths and its weaknesses, but we don't like to admit it. Like, think of Chinese culture, amazing art, history, literature, philosophy, food, shit music. Yeah, that's good. You know, like, oh, yeah, it's good. But, but people, when you're setting yeah, it up, yeah, yeah. go on, go on, carry on. And then I'll go, like, because no one's ever walked into a Chinese restaurant and go, oh, fucking hell, Gary, this one's a banger, isn't it, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and you see people tense yeah. and then you say that and they're like, yeah, that, that, that's what I was saying. Because yeah. on the lead up, you're like, what the fuck is he about to get cancelled? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then it, because it's playful, it's yeah. playful. And that's, to me, that's mm. what I love doing is I like bringing people, bringing people. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, then saying, it's going to be all right, actually. It's, it's going to yeah, be all gonna, right. It's going to be all right. Yeah. But then also you're going to, there's bits where you're going to fall over the yeah, other yeah. end. Yeah. And you've got to do that. You've got to allow yourself for people to go. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I'd done that. I'd done a similar thing. I've been trying to craft this joke where, and I can't quite get it yet, where I'm talking about, because um, um, we're going to the sobriety in a second. By the way, that's it's, this isn't a comedian podcast. This is about sobriety. My my man here is also sober. So, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and I'm trying to write this joke where I'm yeah. like, on, on stage, I'm like, like 167 days sober, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. thank you. And like, because they'll clap and go yeah. like, well done. And something along the lines of, it's amazing, isn't it? All I've got to do is tell you how long it's been since I've, I like, I've abused alcohol and yeah. drugs and you give me a round of applause. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like when you guys just don't do that anyway. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I can't quite get it right, but I tried it on the thing, but I said, it's been 160 days since I smashed my house up or something <laughs> like that. And they were just like, nah, nah man, <laughs> yeah. like too far, because I think they visualised it. Yeah. But that's what I mean. So, so you're are you quite meticulous with? Sorry, I'm getting right into the comedy stuff here. Are yeah, you it's quite, great. Are you quite meticulous with uh, when you write it? Do you rehearse it hard, like word for word, or do you get the idea in your head and then just play with it on stage? Well, I, it's a combination. So what I do is I like to write it out, so it's all there. So I know the structure because Chris Rock always said, and it always stuck with me because he's the reason I got into comedy. He's my hero. Yeah, is that. Uh, Comedy is is a blues for people who can't sing. Right, okay. So which means if you think about it, comedy, like a lot of the times you might write a brilliant joke, but it might not work. And why is it that it won't work is because you don't know how to perform it. You don't know the rhythm. You don't know the flow. You don't know where to pause. You don't know what, yeah, you know, what word to hit, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, I make sure it's written and I make sure that I understand it, that I, I know what the joke is, that I can feel it. And then when I perform it, I try and let that go and I'll see what comes out. Yeah, yeah, because you, you can have a... Because also you're playing on the beats of the crowd, yeah. the laughter of the beats of yeah. the crowd and the pauses and whether whether they're responding to stuff quickly yeah. or slowly or whether one side's... Yeah, anyway, we're yeah. going to bore the audience with all this comedy stuff. Yeah. A couple of comedy geeks here. Right, so, um, yeah, so... Tell me about your um. So your mum and dad. First of all, tell me about because where is it that you're from? You're from originally. Your family's from. Um, go on, tell me because right, yeah, it's cool. Venezuela, uh, so, yeah, yeah. yeah so, so talk me through that, and also how. Uh, yeah, start with that. Okay, yeah, so yeah, so my mum's Venezuelan. Yeah. Um. So my Venezuela is a country which is in. If you don't know, it's in the top of South America, next to Colombia, above Brazil. Mm. And uh, my grandfather's family are like from Lebanon, yeah. So in the Middle East, and then my grandmother's family—they're all like kind of mixed. Wow. Okay. Right, and that's um, and and that kind of really informed the way I look at the world because 
when you've got a country mm. like Venezuela where everyone's mixed, mm. you could have, for instance, someone, a Venezuelan could look like you and your sister could be dark skinned with curly hair because we're all so mixed. So it could genetically, you know, we all come out looking different. Right. So I find the way that we look at race in this country actually quite ridiculous because my mum is a woman of colour, right? She's yeah. a small yeah. little South American woman, right? My dad is from Wigan, okay? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. So wow. we're from like basically Anglo-Irish stock. Yeah. You know, and that means I, but basically I've got white skin. I've got my dad's Irish skin. Fucking hell, mate. Yeah, you're mixed, very mixed. Yeah. yeah. And um, and you think that gives you a different perspective on things? Or, yeah, or, it gives me a different perspective because what happens is you realise that everybody is a sense, is a product of the culture and the society that they grew up in. But and you, if you're mixed race you know, and you come from essentially two different cultures, it's a real gift because what it means is is that people will say, well, you don't truly feel part of one culture, which might be true, I don't know. But it means that you kind of step back and you look at this culture and you go, all right, there's bits of it that I like mm. and there's bits of it that I associate with, but it leads you to question it more, Yeah, which uh means that you... Essentially, you can take parts of it that you agree with and parts that you disagree. That gives you a really good informed position for your podcast as well. Yeah, like to be on to be in the chair on the podcast. Um, have you have you found that to be to make you feel a little bit? I don't know how to say it without offending you. Like no, out, no, don't say out, whatever you want. Out of place, feel out of place. Yeah, there are times that I felt out of place. Of yeah. course, like um, people like my nickname in Venezuela in my family was El Mono Blanco, which means a white monkey. Fucking hell, really. right? And my other uncle called me Monsieur, which means foreigner. <laughs> right, in your own family? Yeah, my own family. Like, and I remember, yeah. like, when I'd come for visit my family from England, they'd look at me and they'd go, "Yeah, you're too white. You need to go on the beach." <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, yeah, but yeah, but, but cool. and as a result of uh, of that, you start you feel a little bit different. And I'm not much of a dancer, and mm. everyone in Venezuela because it's Latin, it's about dancing. Yeah. If you can't dance, it doesn't matter mm. what you're not going to get a girl. Yeah, oh, you, wow. You've, yeah. Got to, you've got to be able to dance, whereas you come to England, I'm going to fucking dance, yeah, man. I'm yeah. a fucking gay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's that kind yeah. of where the most macho guy in Venezuela is the, probably the best dancer. Mm. Wow, yeah. And then you've got here, we're shot fucking... Yeah, yeah. Well, you've got the best of both worlds. Yeah. Yeah, you've got a bit of both. Yeah. So, so that's what makes it interesting. Yeah. You know, and it means that you question things, that you look at things a little bit differently, which means it's a great asset to when we chat to different people yeah so you've had you've had conversations with all sorts of people now i saw that you it was pierce morgan the other day yeah uh, how did you find that with pierce morgan i really liked him yeah i find him actually really inspirational because really? yeah yeah because yeah, we talked about you know his career and, and, and his viewpoints and what and wokeism and whatever else but to me the most interesting part of it was where we talked about mindset mm. and he was talking about you know twitter storms and he actually said he goes twitter storms burn themselves out and wow. no one cares. It goes in a couple of weeks, no one cares. We've all moved on. We've all moved on to the next thing that we're outraged about or they're really upset about. It might be you. It might be me. It might be someone saying something. And no one cares. No wish, one cares. I, I wish I could harness that mindset because that's powerful, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Yeah. And he also said something, and this is something that I carry with me. Or from, from the moment I heard it, I try and carry with me every day. He goes, he goes, Every job that I've ever had, you know, when I've lost my job or I've been fired or I'm sitting there or they told me my contract's not been renewed, I've always gone on to something better. And he goes, if you've got, if you're positive, if you're open to opportunity, if you accept that this has come to an end, but you look at the skills that you've learned mm. and how you've developed and how you've improved, 
and you remain open, opportunity will present itself. Oh, such a, that's what I always say. It's all about perspective. It's whatever's happening to you in your life, good or bad, especially bad, if you can just find a different perspective on it, yeah. then you can survive it. And I'll tell you what, that's, I, I, I'm, uh, and we get onto this with, with yourself as well, but I'm, I'm slowly battling lots of different things in my life from, you know, from the addictions mm. to, uh, you know, problems with my ADHD to low self-esteem and stuff like that. And at the moment, a real tough one that I'm, I'm caught, like I'm talking about even this morning and day to day is overthinking uh, and focusing on negative things online mm -hmm. on social media. Now I think that I've burnt myself out a bit on, because I've been promoting and everything on my yeah. social media. And I'm just like, even my missus is just like, well, calm down, man. Like when you come up with something funny, put it on, but like, you don't have to be on it doing stories every day, showing them everything you're doing. And then I can see one, one comment, one negative comment, and that can be my day. Like it's in my nut. Like, and I realize now that it's because of my mindset, looking at it. Like if you look at what Piers Morgan just said, he's in the, in, in the midst of a Twitter storm. He's picking up his phone and he's trending. I mean, when I was trending, when I got canceled and all that went through, it was like the worst thing that ever, ever happened to me in my life. He's probably looking at it and going, yeah. So like you said, he's going, well, that'd be, people forget that in a week's time. What a powerful mindset. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, but, it, but it's, it's difficult when you're going through this, but also there's, there's evolutionary reasons why we focus in on the negative and we don't focus on the positive. Because if you go back to the times when we were on the African savannah, if we see, interpret something as a threat, that's far more important to us than if something is good nice. and, yeah, and nice and positive because the threat can fucking kill us. Yeah, so we're yeah. like, there's a threat, there's a danger. We've got, we've got to make sure we've got to keep our eye on it. I've got to think about it. I've got to... That's why it keeps reminding you. Your brain keeps yeah. reminding you. Yeah, yeah. of course, because what your brain's trying to do is, is trying to protect you. It's, have you ever read Steve Peters? We interviewed him on the show. Steve Peters is a clinical psychologist who wrote the book, The Chimp Paradox. I started reading it, but I never finished it. Yeah. But yeah. I did, yeah, and he's he's based, and that's uh, talk to me about it. That's that's about a voice in your mind, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So it's a chimp, which is essentially like, uh, how can I put this? Which is the um, I forgot the term. Which is basically the sh the shadow side of you, which is the child in you, the mm. child in you, which is the the reactive part of you, the emotional part of you. Mm. And if the emotional part of you doesn't feel safe, then it's going to react emotionally. And what's happened to you, which Steve Peters would say, is this comment has made you feel unsafe. It's yeah, made you feel yeah. threatened. Your chimp is going, fucking hell, yeah, yeah, we've yeah, got yeah. to protect ourselves. Come on, we've got to protect. We've got to get the armour on. We've got to make sure. But it's an overreaction because yeah. it's just a comment and it actually isn't a threat to you in any shape or form. Yeah, you're right. And that's probably from the trauma of getting cancelled before. And I get I get it from uh, news articles, actually. When, news, yeah. when, uh, when press articles come out about me, and um, at the moment they're always back on tour or he's doing whatever, yeah. but there might be like a little bit in it where it's like, Oh yeah, you know the, the you know um, shamed comedian did that, and I was yeah. like, oh no, they're fucking go. Yeah, yeah, I get that. So, do you um through through um speaking to people like what was mm. that geezer's name that wrote the chimp? Uh, uh, Doctor Steve Peters. Through speaking to people like that, do you take a lot of that stuff on? Yeah, you, and who else has been inspirational to you like that, or do you think the most inspirational, or or one that's changed? I love mindset stuff. One that's changed your mindset the most. Uh, one that has. One of the most inspirational uh, lines that I've ever heard is from a conservative journalist actually called Ed West, and he was talking about free speech. And he goes, free speech is so important because if we're not going to talk about a problem honestly and discuss every possible aspect of the problem, then we're not going to solve it because we're only going to solve 80% of the problem. You're not going to solve the, the actual 20% that we find a bit mm. uncomfortable to talk about, whatever it is. So for me, it's actually 
when I talk to these people, and I love the mindset stuff, and I love the, and I, and I love, in particular, I love talking to psychologists. I find that, how can I put this? It's the little gems that you get. But the most important thing to me isn't the conversations, is I've got an amazing therapist, and I go and see her. I came, I go and see her 12 o'clock every Monday, rain or shine, whatever's happened, mm -mm. unless I'm, I'm, I'm abroad and I'm doing stuff. Mm -mm. But 12 o'clock, rain or shine, mm. every Monday, I go and see Melissa. Yeah, yeah. And we talk about what's going on, about, about my career, because like you, I'm in the public eye, it's getting bigger and bigger, mm. and it's, it's, it's difficult to deal with. It's yeah. difficult to deal with seeing people misrepresent words that you say yeah. or misrepresent things or you saying things and then you realising that... Mm. You know, that could you, be problematic. That yeah. could, a, that could be problematic, or more likely, you're not clear with what you say, so it's easy for to be misinterpreted. Yeah, 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 and taken out of context. Yeah, and taken out of context, and all of these things. And mm. she's great because it means that we just I work on mindset with her, and I work because, like you, I've got ADHD. Mm. I really struggle with um, uh, mental spirals, yeah. anxiety obsessive yeah. thoughts yeah mate. uh sometimes i like you know i if i'm having a bad day mm. i can spiral really rapidly yeah. really rapidly if i fixate on something yeah you know pretty soon we can go dark yeah and uh yeah have you have you learned any techniques to deal with that yeah because yeah. yeah go on talk to me okay so number one i tend to find that wake up every morning and I meditate. If I don't meditate, my day is, I didn't meditate today. Yeah. My day is already not as good as it could have been. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. I, I didn't take the time to meditate. Now there's reasons for that sometimes because I was doing headliners last night and mm. I was in my mistress's house and we had to get up early because she had stuff it's to do. Not ideal, yeah, it's yeah. not ideal scenario. Yeah. yeah, so sometimes you can't do it. You've got to exercise. Yeah. Exercise minimum three times a week and by exercising, I mean, you work out hard. Yeah, that's what I do every morning, mate. Yeah. yeah. You've got to do it, you know, and if you don't do it, you're going to feel bad about yourself. You've got to eat right. Yeah. You've got to get sunshine. And if you find yourself going into a spiral, particularly with your phone, put the phone down, switch it off, go for a walk. Oh, man, the phone is the big one, isn't it? The phone is the big one. I'm, I, I, um, I'm just seconding what you're saying here. For me, I can go, I can lose fucking 10 minutes thinking about something that's not even going to fucking happen that might happen or or getting stressed out about a certain thing. And now, um, like, we'll get onto it in a second, but when I, especially when I start thinking about, when a weekend comes, I start thinking about drinking or yeah. going out on the session, stuff like that. Um, normally, it's after something has, has fucking wound me up or, or ironically, if I'm celebrating something yeah. or whatever, um, I try and do this with things that worry me as well, is I stop looking at that voice inside me as, like, um, my voice yeah. and see it as a voice. Like yeah. you're saying, like the chimp, like I, I look at it like that. And if I'm having a stressful morning, like this morning I woke up, I went to boxing, I left my phone at boxing, mm. I got back to my house, I had to go to the dentist. And when I got back to my house, I, I had to make the choice. Do I go back to the yeah. gym to get my phone or do I go to the dentist and yeah. then... I was going to have a little walk around the shops or whatever, and then go get, and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to fucking go get my dentist. Yeah. You know, I'm going to see what it's like. And I had like two hours without my phone, and it was the fucking bollocks, man. Yeah, it was. Um, and yeah, it was great. And I, and I feel like that that's a, it's such a mad thing, isn't it? That you can just get sucked into it and the stress. But um, let's move on. So you're, um, you're sober. Yeah. 
yeah, how uh, long? Uh, so I, the caveat, I still do a, a occasional edible, but I don't booze because I found weed I could I can yeah. do and I can handle. Yeah. Booze, I can't. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. I, and that's okay. Yeah, well, talk to me about the booze then. What, what, talk to me about uh, what sort of drinker were you? I was the type of drinker that I didn't need a pint, but if I had a pint, I'd be like, Right, let's let's fucking do this. Yeah, that's me, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's you know me what I mean? As well, that's me. Yeah, you know, and I'd be like funny, and I'd be, you know what I mean, and I'd make people laugh, and I'd, you know, I'd do mm. all, to, you know, and I'd be the life and soul. Yeah. And then the next day, I'd go fucking dark. Yeah, that's me, mate. Yeah. Yeah, I'd go really dark, really, really, really. You know where you wake up and you can't? There, there's no positives. There's nothing. There's mm. just black. You, yeah. you know, it's like character in the. Do you remember the character on the Fast Show, which just used to repeat the word black and black like the night, and then just. Be, but anyway, it was it was like that. I couldn't I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see any light. I couldn't see any positivity, and I just realised that if I wanted to make something of myself, if I wanted to do something, if I wanted to achieve what I wanted to achieve, I couldn't have booze in my life because you can't be productive and successful mm. and do that. Well, maybe you can if you're more talented than me and you're smarter. Maybe some people can, but I just couldn't. Yeah, it's funny that you say that about the darkness the next day. Did you find that that affected the relationships with people you were with the next day? Oh, of course. Of yeah. course. I'd wake up and be a fucking prick. That's me. That's me, man. That was yeah. the big one. And I think that's the ADHD. Do you know that? Really? I think, I think. yeah, 100%. I've been doing a lot of research into this and thinking about it. And I think if, if your ADHD is anything like mine, yeah. um, the, the drink obviously suppresses it or like yeah. it's like self-medication, isn't it? Yeah. And when you start sobering up, it fucking comes back hard. Yeah. But so, so where, where, we, where normal people would experience a level of anxiety and a hangover, mm. um, say, for instance, like two or three out of ten, we'd be like a ten. So oh. we'd, we'd be waking up and where our obsessive overthinking and ADHD mind is focusing on everything bad. I used to be like, I, I don't know, I used to be like, like a different person on a hangover. Like yeah. I'd, I'd wake up, I'd be pissed off. I'd be looking for an argument. And then uh, I used to have these weird episodes where literally at some point in the day, something would click and I'd go, oh mate, why am I being such a fucking yeah. dick, man? It was weird. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, did you, I, I found as well that, and I don't know if you were like this as well, and it's such a dangerous thing, but I think majority of lads that I know, 100% more or less all the lads I know are like this that they didn't drink unless they were like, I, I didn't see the point of having one or two. I just want to get fucked up. Yeah. yeah that's why I had, that's why I yeah. had mate. It's just uh, when I went, like when I, when I went to drink, I think it's because fundamentally I'm a very quiet, shy person. And and it's like, you get a little, it's like you get a little bit of uh, go juice and you're like, let's go. Yeah. 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 And that was it. And, it. and I used drink because I was quite shy and I was quite an introvert and I wasn't, I was quite a sensitive kid growing up. Mm. And I used it as a way to kind of mask my insecurities, mask what I perceived to be my flaws, and enable me to talk mm. to people and, let's be honest, talk to women. Yeah. Especially yeah. women that you fancied. I mean, we forget, like, 18, 19 years old. Yeah, we, we, wanted, we wanted to talk to women. Mate. Yeah, yeah. And, and you couldn't because right. it seemed like you got some kind of weird version of Tourette's and Parkinson's yeah, yeah, every time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so you felt like you had to have a few beers in order to be able to do it. But well, Yeah, I could never work out if the more I drank, the, the, the better looking the women are that I was speaking to or just the better looking the women turned. You know? <laughs> I, mean, I didn't know. Yeah. But, um... So how did that, so this is what I find really interesting talking to different people about going sober, because did you make a conscious decision then? Like, yeah. I'm not going to drink. 
Yeah. So how did you find how, how like because your your journey is very similar to mine in the, yeah. in the way that um, I wasn't alcohol dependent, but mm-hmm. weekends for me were a fucking sesh. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And I used to do other stuff as well. That that the drink would lead to the drugs. Yeah. Right? But um, you know, and then I'd be interesting gone. question. What are you like? Because uh, I imagine you've done a, a fair bit of this or a wee bit. What are you like on cocaine? Well, uh, a fair bit would be an understatement. I used to love a sesh, but yeah. um, um, it's a weird one because cocaine would affect me in in different ways. Initially, mm. when my friends my friends would say that I'm fucking terrible for arm mm. tapping and storytelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd do cocaine, and initially I'd be like arm tapping, yeah. story, storytelling, waiting for my chance to tell a story. Like, um, not very funny. Yeah, more like talking fucking conspiracy yeah. theories yeah. and deep yeah. shit. Yeah, you know, for me, doing cocaine took the edge off trying having to perform, mm. and more like getting deep into shit with yeah. people. Um, but after a while, um, and I mean, not after years of using, I mean, after a while in an evening, it would shut me up. And, uh, and yeah, I think like after my third or fourth line or something, I'd be, um, I'd be like wanting to go home and use on my own. Really? Yeah. I'd want to get out and I'd be paranoid or I'd be paranoid and quiet. And I used to call it, and I still used to do it. It was like sniffing anxiety for me towards it. Really? Yeah. I just, I'd, I'd do it. It's weird because now, now I see all the triggers. Like now that I'm more in tune with um, my state of mind and mm. and and uh, with the voices in my head that are negative, like we said, the chimp yeah. paradox. Now that I know that it's habit, right? So yeah. it's like a habit. It's like Friday's coming. I can feel it. I mm. want to get on the piss and and you know I want maybe I don't know if I'm going to have a sesh as soon as I've had a beer. Mm. Yeah, let's have a sesh. Mm. Like it's like that whole lead up to it was the sexy thing. Doing it was the shit thing. Yeah, you know what I mean, sniffing the line and and getting high was. Um, that's like, you know, trouble. Do you know what I mean? Like, how long is this going to last for? How long am I going to be feeling like this? And what's tomorrow going to be like? I think because of my mental ADHD, cocaine used to fucking chill me out, mate. Yeah. That's, yeah, it did. Yeah, initially, I'd be like that, but then the prolonged use of it yeah, used to man. like fucking... That's why they give stimulants to, to yeah. kids with ADHD, don't yeah. they? Like, it's like speed they give to kids. But but yeah, I certainly wasn't a performer on it. No, no. Uh, but... Yeah, it, 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 I wanted to, yeah, be on my own really? and chill, that, yeah. That was interesting, yeah, because when I used to do, do it, like, I'd get given a line. Like, I, I never really understood why people liked it so much. Go, Kevin, I'd like, I just feel a bit normal now. I can concentrate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. That, maybe that is the ADHD. Yeah. And, mate, and that's why they say 80% of people with ADHD suffer with addiction problems yeah. um, because uh, we have noise in our mind. Yeah. We, we do have noise in our mind, and... Uh, and the best way that I, I, and you can give me your explanation of what ADHD is, but the best way that I can des- um, describe ADHD and I never, I didn't get diagnosed with my ADHD until I was trying to go sober. Yeah. So it was around the same sort of time because when I was going sober, I was fucking, I was turning into a fucking bit of a nutter. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And my missus was like, whoa, 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 what's going on? Like towards the end of the day, I'd be all mm-hmm. like fucking all over the place. Yeah. But I, I, I'll be like, halfway through washing up and I'll be like, oh, I just got to do that thing on my phone. And then halfway through doing that, I'll be like, I have to do this and I have to do that. And like, I literally now, I literally now, I'll be doing something and I'll go, don't fucking move. Yeah. Just finish doing what you're doing before you start saying else. Yeah. Because I can feel the ADHD. Yeah. I can feel what it is. Yeah. So that, that, that's what it is to me. But through the years and years of drug and alcohol abuse, it was not that right because I was either hung over. Yeah. So like, just like, oh, like fucked. Or I was high or drunk. Yeah. Never normal. Yeah. And what I did when I quit booze and I quit drugs and I quit everything for, for a long old time is that 
I just use stand up as my drug. I, yeah, I get that's the buzz. Yeah, that's a, six nights a week. I would write and and perform and do stand up all day, every fucking day, bam, all the time. So that was the way that I kind of dealt with it. And what happened when the pandemic came? I remember I was at Top Secret Comedy Club. The pandemic, uh, the pandemic came. They literally closed. They closed everything. And I was in my flat on my own. And I went, fuck, this is going to be bad. Yeah. And I just went, hello, darkness, my old friend. And I could just feel the fucking thing coming all down, all the darkness. And I just, and I was in a flat on my own. My flatmate, he went to stay in Devon. And I remember asking my girlfriend, do you want to come and move in with me? And she went, no. And I was just on my own. And that was two, three months where it just, it got, it did, got. Did you start drinking? No, I didn't. But I, I. I yeah, there there was some long dark nights of the soul because everything mm. that I had used to cope with mm. this incessant obsessive thoughts in my brain yeah. that I'm I'm plagued with day in and day out, mm. they just ran rampant, and it, it just it was it was so difficult. Mm. It was. Do you um do you, do you, uh, do, I I don't I've I've watched you obviously I knew you before but I watched you on your uh, podcast and stuff like that. Do you? Do you create like smaller skits on like Instagram and Twitter and stuff? Like, yeah. Could you not obsess over that? Did you get into all that and try and well, create video content and all that? Because that's what I did. I've just fucking, I've got about half a million TikTok followers through lockdown. I was just like fucking, because I couldn't move. Yeah. Well, no, because what happened was that's when trigonometry took off. Because before the pandemic, trigonometry was one episode a week, one video episode a week, one podcast a week. So we take the audio, rip it, and put it into an audio podcast. And it was great. When we went into lockdown, we were on about 70,000 subscribers, and we were doing well, you know, decently on audio. And then what happened is lockdown came, and so we ended up doing four live streams a week. Wow. You know, and we then went up to two episodes a week. Mm. And we just went all in. Wow. All in and just went, <clears throat> right, this is it. This is everything we're going to focus on. So I literally just woke up tunnel and went, vision. tunnel yeah. vision, trigonometry, da 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 And like, I look back and I go, I could have done this, I could have done that. But actually, I was so focused because oh, I was in survival mode. Because yeah, yeah. if this didn't work, what, right, am I gonna I, do? what am I going to do? I didn't qualify for any of the grants. I've basically given up my teaching job to do stand-up because mm -hmm. it was at the point now where I was opening for people, I was writing for people, I was gigging. I was also doing like teaching comedy courses, and through that, I was making a, a decent living. Mm. And literally overnight, bam! Mm, that's so, tough. So it, you know, it had to work. There was no option. No garden. Did you have a garden? Yeah, I had a garden. Well, okay, well at least you had a fucking yeah, garden. Yeah, well, it was a little wee garden. Yeah, but, but the, yeah, but that was it. And you know, and but yeah, it was. What the, what what's what's the live stream concept? Is that on YouTube? You'd live stream from your flat, would you? I mean, yeah, yeah, we just live stream from the flat, talking and, to each other. Yeah, talking to each other yeah. about what was going on in politics at the time because it was mental. We were talking about the lockdowns. We were talking... It was great for content, wasn't it? All yeah. that stuff, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, we were talking about what was happening. We were talking about BLM. We were talking about protests. We were talking about the statues taken down. We were talking about them trying to kill Dominic Cummings. All of these things that were happening, mm. you know, we, we were just talking about. And as yeah. a result, we ended up getting this audience of people who tune in. So even now, like, I'm walking around. I get people coming up to me and going... Thank you so much for keeping me sane during the pandemic. I thought yeah. I was the only one. Yeah, I done a, uh, I done a similar thing. I done these two lads talking about every time Boris done an update. Yeah, these two lads talking over the fence about how, how stupid the government thought we were. But you must have a fucking weird 
view on what happened then in yeah. the pandemic. You must, we're well, not weird, but you must, like, I hear all sorts of things and the, my bit, the only way that I can make head nor tail of it is that somebody had a fucking patent for a fucking, <laughs> for, for, you know, somebody had a patent for a, a cure and <laughs> somebody had the fucking disease <laughs> and the, the person let the disease out and, <laughs> and, and then said, get the patent and the government paid the money for the patent to cure everyone. Because how in, how in your right minds can you lock down a whole country? I mean, I, I bought a nightclub yeah. about a month before the first pandemic. Fuck. Yeah, I bought a nightclub. Fuck. Yeah, and I, I think I, we had it open a month. They locked us down, and now we've, you know, we're all right now. Like we're running, but we we've got like fucking hundred grand's worth of fucking rent to pay off. We were not let off that time. No, for that time it shut. They, they might have gave us a reduction and, and chipped in some money, but the landlord's still like, yeah, that's cool. So we've got a fucking two years to stick on top of your fucking rent, right? And I'm and we're like we're like and now in the state of the current economy, how many people do you think are out going fucking partying and raving? It ain't like before the pandemic. No. Um, and it's also as well, people have got out of the habit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. It's, it, they can see it at home. But what I'm saying is, how can you lock down a whole country and uh, do all of that stuff for, for, for a virus that that is, that is that was what harmful to, I don't know what the percentage is, yeah. but people with underlying health problems and, yeah. and the elderly. What's your take on that, if you don't well, mind? Well, so, so the first lockdown I agreed with at the time, and, and I still do, because we didn't know what the virus was. We didn't know how how lethal it was. We saw the footage of places like in what was happening in Italy. Which was scary. Which was, it was terrifying. And yeah. I think people forget that. There's a lot of people, particularly in my, in my space, who were like, oh, I never agreed with it. And I'm like, mm, Well, it, really? did, it did kill people, yeah. Yeah, you know, it did kill people. And we also forget of how scary it initially was. We all remember, like, the death rates. We all mm. remember there was a point when the NHS looked like it was going to be over overwhelmed yeah we all remember when boris went into <coughs> intensive care it was yeah. serious and it was worrying so there was a period where i think actually we're looking back on it it wasn't the wrong decision mm. i think though to keep us in after the after it flatlined in the second and third i just lockdowns mm. i think were mental and i I th they've trashed the economy. And the reason we're in this financial mess is because of the lockdowns yeah. and printing all this money and putting everyone on furlough. Yeah. It's like, well, this was going to happen. Yeah, I just don't get it. I mean, there's so much more to it. Like, it came, it came out of Wuhan where they got the yeah. fucking facility there. Yeah. So, I mean... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's and a then, lot of all that stuff. There's no point going into it. Yeah. But I mean, you know, if Joe Rogan's done that for us, but yeah. I mean, um, but anyway, like you said, it was good for it was good for content, but not so good if you suffer with ADHD uh, and you're not self medicating and you're on your own. Yeah. Luckily, I had my missus and my my two kids, so I was pretty. But I mean, that was even hard. But yeah, yeah, it it, it was really, really, really tough. It was really tough. And look, trigonometry became what trigonometry became thanks mm. to the pandemic. And we exploded and, and we're, it's very successful and great. But I, I sometimes meet people and they go, oh, the pandemic was good for you, wasn't it? And it was great, <laughs> and it was great for trigonometry. And I, and I think to myself, but the country is more important than my fucking podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People who had their livelihoods destroyed, yeah, yeah. who... who lives were yeah. wrecked as a result of yeah. this. That is more important than my podcast. Yeah, the people that I really feel for are like the the, the young lads and young girls out there that, that that had saved up their money and they were opening like nail salons or yeah. tattoo parlours and stuff like that. And then they're locked down and they're shut and then the landlord's saying, if you can't pay your rent because, you know, or they don't have the cash flow to come back and they've fucking spent 20 grand on a refurb and it's just done. That's their whole life ruined. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. 
But anyway, let's move on to Sank a little bit. Um, just before we move on, I think we're, we're a bit close on time. How, how, how are we doing for time? Cool, yeah, we're cool. We're cool for another 20 minutes or something, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Um, so I just wanted to talk, because it is Menace of Sobriety, just on yeah. your drinking. How did you find it then when you decided not to? Did you stop socialising with your pals? Did you have, like, drinking buddies and stuff like that? Cause this yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I you did. stop? So How long sober are you now? Uh, 11 drink? years. So I stopped Edinburgh Festival 2011. Wow. So it's been 12 years since I last had an alcoholic drink. Wow. How old are you? I'm 40. Wow, so you stopped so much sooner than me. I only just stopped like this, like, what am I, fucking up about 170 days in, <laughs> my second crack at it. I couldn't, after my first crack, I went back, so I'm very different to you. But I mean, did you relapse, actually? Did you go back or after no. you decided? You just decided, but, so was it not a difficult decision for you? And did you, did you, did you struggle going out public, like, with your pals when they were drinking? Look, here's, the way I describe it is like this. My grandfather, my Venezuelan grandfather, used to smoke 40 a day for 40 years. Camel unfiltered. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I said to him, Abuelo, which is grandfather in Spanish, I said, uh, how did you give up smoking? And he just looked at me and went, because I wanted to. Simple as that. Yeah. If you really want to do something, if you are absolutely focused on it, if this is your sole focus, mm. you will do it. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. yeah, you will do it. You will do it. If you want, if your motivation is so powerful that it overrides anything else, mm. and that's what you want in your life, whatever it is, then that will happen and you will achieve that, both good and bad. And we've seen that. And we, you can, you, you've seen it through your own life. Yeah. And I knew that I'm a, I'm a very ambitious person, not to the extent, like I think ambition's a dirty word in this country, which I have a real problem with. I think ambition a lot of the time can be a very good thing. can be a very good thing. Mm. You've achieved what you, the amazing things you've achieved in your life, professionally, personally, have come through ambition, for yeah. wanting to better yourself, for wanting to be a better <clears throat> version of yourself. Mm. And I've always been a very ambitious person. I knew that I wanted to, I wanted to have a career in comedy mm. and I wanted to be great at comedy. I don't know, I'm not, I'm not there yet by any stretch of the imagination, but I wanted a career. Yeah. And I just knew that if I drank, that was never going to be an option. Because mm. I don't come from money. I was a teacher at the time. So I had to teach kids. And I was, at the time, I think I was teaching in a second, a rough secondary school. So I had to teach. And then when I segued into being a primary school teacher, you know, it's an important job. You can't fuck about with that. No, you're right. You can't fuck about. You know, these, these are people's kids. And I, I'm put, and I wanted to teach poor kids and I wanted to teach working class kids. So these are kids, the vast majority of whom, education, that's their only way out. That yeah. is the only way out. That's the only way mm. for them to improve. So if you go there in there and take the piss, mm. then you know you you're doing harm. Mm. You're doing ha actual harm. So I couldn't. I I knew that, but I knew that teaching was only going to be part of my life, and I wanted it to be comedy. And I just knew that I also had a relationship at the time, and I just knew that something had to give, mm. and that if alcohol was involved, this mm. wasn't going to work. Yeah, I can. Fucking hell, that's powerful. But it's, you know, and again, mindset. Yeah. It's mindset. It's 100%. It's a strong mindset. And and I, I can completely relate to what you're saying. I, I, for me, I didn't want to give up drinking. I yeah. didn't, I didn't yeah. want to. It was as yeah. simple as that. Like, uh, I thought that my life, my, that my, I thought that my reward for getting through life mm. was getting fucked up at the yeah. weekend. That, that was my attitude. It wasn't until I was given, um, not like a verbal ultimatum by my yeah. wife, yeah. but where I pushed it to the fucking limit where I knew after a fucking 10 years of taking her through this cycle, yeah. I knew that um, if I carried on down this route, um, she's going to leave me and I'll have to see my kids on the weekend. But not just that, 
a very similar thing that you're saying. Like I knew, I always believed that I had a talent when it comes to writing and performing mm, and, yeah. and, and filming and stuff like that. And that, uh, you know, things could go well. And the only thing that will fuck it up is drinking drugs. Yeah. That, that, that's I knew it. Yeah. And that, when that clicked, I was like, right, okay, so is it really a difficult choice to make your yeah. family, your career and what you want out of life or drinking drugs? And I think that's the problem with a lot of people that are, are, are watching this that are uh, trying to go sober is that, um, yeah, they haven't, they haven't, how do you, like, do you know what I mean? They haven't put their mindset in the right, they're still looking at it as, they're still looking at it as missing out on something yeah. rather than being free of it. And it's also, I think, as well, and, and I think a lot of people, and I think a lot of blokes struggle with this, and I think a lot of blokes from our backgrounds and whatever else, because of, you know, there's, there's a class system in this country, and, and, what, and, and they think that they can't achieve because of the background that they came from, or people say to them, or you want to be an actor, or you want to be a writer, or you want to be this. You want... mm. Oh, you're never going to do that, mate. You, you know, you mm. you make a good living. You make a good living. You, you're a scaffolder. You do well. well why do you want to jeopardise mm. it for that? And then they feel that they can't achieve yeah. what they want to achieve. Now, they, yeah. look, there's nothing wrong with being a scaffolder. There's nothing wrong yeah, with being yeah, self-employed. If that's what you want to do, great. Mm. Fantastic and all power to you. But I think a lot of people... They don't see a way out. They don't see they... a way out. And like when I was a teacher, again, teaching is a great and noble profession, but that's not what I dreamed of doing. That's not what I dreamed of being. Mm. And I think it's because people are scared to go after their dreams because they're worried of what happens when they fail. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I definitely think that lads especially, I've learned this, lads, and not, well, I learned this from myself, lads are terrified that if you take away the drink and the sesh, what have I got? Yeah. What have I got? Because the mad thing is, is it is, it is it's a genuine, uh, and I got, I got accused of in the press and that I got accused of glorifying, you know, mm. drug culture and alcohol culture. And I said on one of my other podcasts, well, it is fucking glorious. Otherwise, why would people get hooked? Of course. You, you know that Frank Skinner joke, don't you? Where he goes, oh, it's not really a joke. It's kind of a witty comment where he goes, I, uh, ever since... Uh, uh, I've ever, ever since I stopped boozing, he goes, I've taken up French, I've become a stand-up comedian, I've had my own TV show, I've learned French, I've got married, I've had a kid, uh, which just goes to show that uh, you can give up alcohol, but you can never truly replace it. <laughs> yeah, fucking Be hell. Because, yeah. do you know what I mean? The greatest feeling in the world is being with the boys and you're two pints in. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And and that that is, when you, when you, when you go to, especially like you said, if you turn around to a work-in-class geezer one of the lads and you turn around to him and go listen mate yeah and the geezer that's working his tits off during the week he ain't getting much praise yeah for providing because let's have it right we don't we don't a majority of men out there they are looked upon to just provide you know the house the money food on the table mm. you know for their for their missus and that it's not like at the end of every week your wife or your partner goes do you know what thank you very much for working your ass off it's yeah. just standard right yeah of course it's so, what's expected yeah it's what's expected of a man so it's very difficult to turn around to a working class man and say right you work your tits off no one really appreciates what you do you're busting your fucking ass most of the time physically mm -hmm. yeah and at the end of the week at the end of the week the only thing that you've got really to enjoy yourself is going and getting off your nut or smash with mm. your mates but do you know what if you stopped doing that life would become better. They're like, how the fuck is life going to be better if I ain't got that? Yeah. But the truth of it is, the truth of it is, life is going to be a lot easier. That's what I learned. Once you get past the stage of, because you, you never operate at, you're never operating at a, a normal level. You're either hungover or you're drunk if, yeah. you're, if you're fucking your weekends up. Yeah. Um, but just saying that to a man that's got that, that has that ingrained in them like it, it was for me, 
and telling them that there's a life outside of that and trying to take away the only way they're coping with life, mm. it's fucking hard. Of course it's hard. Of course it's difficult, you know, because, you know, booze enables you to escape from the situations that you find yourself for a temporary amount of time. Mm. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. I always just saw booze, and maybe this is a conspiracy theorist in me, as government control juice. Right. You know, and because I, I just thought, to right. To keep you from achieving too much. Yeah. And, and also to stop you thinking, because when you start boozing, you... We interviewed a guy called Dr. David Nutt, and David, Dr. David Nutt is a, a neuropharmacologist. So he is an expert in drugs. He was a drug advisor to the Gordon Brown government, the, the, the mm. government advisor for drugs to the Gordon Brown government. David Nutt was fired for pointing out a statistical fact, which is horse riding is more dangerous than taking ecstasy. Wow. That is indisputable. That's a statistical fact. You can't, but he said it and he got fired as a result because then it became a tabloid thing and he got fired and, mm. and whatever else. But, and I remember asking him the question because I'm a massive fan of the stand up comedian Bill Hicks. And I said to him, David, Bill Hicks had a routine where he said, all the drugs that choose that, Bill Hicks had a routine that all the drugs that choose you to question, to look at the world, to see it differently, to think about yourself differently, to question the powers that be are all illegal and all the drugs that are terrible for you and don't do any of that are legal. I go, is that true? And he goes, yes, it is. And Bill Hicks is a genius and he nailed it. Wow. Man, I've never thought of it from that perspective. So you smoke weed, it does kind of open your mind. It, it makes you creative 100%. Yeah. You know, I've done weed in the past. It's just, yeah. it's, ne it's never really been my thing, yeah. but it, it definitely makes you creative. gives you funny bones, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. You take mushrooms, which I've never done yet, but I I've have, heard yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that it does. Yeah. I, I have done DMT. I don't know if I should say that. Well, DMT. Yeah. Tell, well, me, tell me about your DMT. This is oh, interesting. Oh, fuck. Have we got time? Oh, man. I've never spoken about this, but fuck it. Let's do it, man. Oh, what am I worried about? I've fucking spoken about sniffing coke off... Um, Hooker's arsehole. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a controversial stuff. Go for it. Yeah. No, the uh, DMT. So I'm not going to say where and when because the geezer's well known. But uh, um, I was I was, I was, was away and he was telling me about it and he was saying, you know, this is what it does. Da, 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 da. It's nothing like ever. And you'll be completely different afterwards. Yeah. And um, I was like, right, let's fucking try it. So it was mad because it completely changed my mindset of everything yeah. afterwards. The first time I, I'd done it in two goes, I, 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 I smoked, smoked, so I don't want to do that because it looks like crack. Yeah. But uh, I, you're cheating yourself now. I'm talking about this, isn't I? But um, first of all, I had this mad, like, geometry like shapes yeah yeah and they say that this is a well-known thing isn't it you, you you're welcome to chip in if you want or you don't want to uh but uh yeah so loads of patterns and stuff yeah. like that da, 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 and things started getting crazy where i was like it felt like i was moving through things yeah. and stuff like that and then i came out of it and i told the person that i was with what had happened he said yeah you haven't gone into a trip yet you're just sort of seeing yeah. seeing the basic stuff and then the second time i done it i it was mental i came straight up out of my body yeah. Like, like I was going through different dimensions, like yeah. coming up where I could see my body. I came out of the planet. And as I come up out of the planet, there was like planes like that yeah. where there was fucking millions of people on the planes. And it yeah. was like, it was different. It was different levels of, um, different levels of like, I don't know if they were dimensions or after yeah. half or whatever. That's in but, so many spiritual, huh? uh, that is in so many spiritual traditions. Is it really? Planes of reality. That's like in like Hinduism and Buddhism and Wow. Yeah, that's that's a that could well be a real thing, man. You may I think you kind of died for a second. Really? Poss possibly. I mean, who knows? But great, but great but the crazy thing the crazy thing about doing it was I was fed loads of information at the same time about myself, about my ego, right? Yeah. So I knew I like a big thing for me was 
and maybe this is because I'd been through um I'd been through all this stuff as Dapper Laughs of where they'd said that I was um uh misogynistic and sexualizing women and all, a lot of my jokes were about shagging and mm. pulling birds and stuff like that. I saw how much um how much time I'd wasted mm. looking at women. Yeah. Like looking at women, like being attracted to women. Mm. Right. So for, it was weird how it came to me, but it was kind of like it kind of like put women it kind of it, maybe it it it, it desexualized women. Maybe yeah. maybe maybe I don't know through my comedy that I'd maybe it was more through what I'd read about myself being yeah. misogynistic. I'd built that up in my mind. Mm. Maybe I don't know, but in my views on that it, all the crazy stuff that had happened in my life it gave me loads of weird perspectives on it. That uh, my drink and drug use. Mm. That I had this weird thing like when I saw everything, um, what I was using to cope. When I came out of it was the beginning of my sobriety. When really? I came, yeah, when I came out of it, it was like I really want to go sober. Like I really wanted to go sober. One because cocaine just seemed like fucking bullshit after yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like, it's a worse drug. Yeah, yeah, it just seemed like bullshit. And secondly, I felt like I'd been given loads of knowledge. Right, yeah. like I don't know what the knowledge was, but I felt like I, it had been fed yeah. into me. And I didn't want to drink because I'm like I want to fucking explore this shit. Yeah. I want to. I want to use. So that's where my battle started with drink and drugs. That's when I started battling it, like, yeah. like trying to resist it, trying to resist it. And it took, took well, a year or whatever to, to crack it. But it was, um, and enough, the person that was with me done it as well. Mm. And they, they were sick, violently sick. And they said, they say that's like a purge, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, that, that's the thing that happens when you take ayahuasca. There's a purging element yeah. as well. And, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so... Thanks for asking. Yeah, man. It's great. <laughs> I've never done it. No, I didn't do um, DMT. I did a mushroom ceremony. On, so I've been doing CBT for... What is that? Uh, uh, I forget. Behavioral... Uh, cognitive behavioral. That's it. Cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's therapy that you do in order to change your behavior. Right. It's the only one offered on the NHS because it's really the only one that's proven to work. So it's therapy using uh, techniques in order for you to change the way you look at the world, change the way you interact, changing mindset. And that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and how you respond. Yeah, and how you respond because what happens happens to you, but how you choose to respond to it is ultimately your behavior. Yeah, it's yeah. your behavior, but ultimately dictates whether you will get the desired outcomes, the outcomes that you want from a particular situation. So, for instance, when I see something shit. How I respond to it. Yeah, how you respond to it. Now, let's say someone writes something awful about you on the internet, which is going to happen, it's going to happen to me. But it's your response which dictates what happens to the rest of your day. Yeah, I get that. Right. So, yeah. so you try and... So the, so the therapy is on your behaviour around yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, it's around that. It's accepting that whatever happens in life will happen. That awful things will happen in life. Great things will happen. But it's it's your response to that, mm. and and you see that you see that with people who have amazing things happen to them, and they turn into fucking cunts because they're like, I'm incredible now. Yeah. Wow. Or you get people who go, oh, I don't deserve this. I'm going to go and self destruct, which again is the other side of it. Mm. Or people who go, oh, this is beautiful. I'm going to accept this and I'm going to enjoy this moment. Wow. So you've got those two, you know, the the, the mm. different way of looking at. It. So I've been doing CBT for a year. And I did a mushroom ceremony. So before I did my mushroom ceremony, I did a an hour and a half CBT where I told my therapist, this is what I'm going to do. So we kind of like prepared for it and just... You did know. they approve the therapist? Well, she, she was just saying, look, this, you know, it's proven to work for some people. There's a lot of work going into this. You know, this is your choice, okay, you know, yeah. and this, you know, and, you know, you just be aware that, you know, 
What can happen, yeah. What can happen. So I did a, I did a, a mushroom ceremony. I got a shaman round to my house. <laughs> Mate, this is fucking far out, man. Yeah, I got a shaman round. <laughs> yeah, lovely bloke, right? Called Louis, right? <laughs> Louis the shaman, he came round. It's just and, a drug dealer, though, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Yeah. And uh, so he gave me some mushrooms, right? Yeah. And uh, a load of mushrooms. And I was a bit gutted because, you know, I wanted the cool stuff, the ayahuasca, the DMT. And he went, no, I have some mushrooms. I went, I took some mushrooms. And I'm actually quite sensitive to drugs. I don't need a lot to get me fucked. And I was mm. like, oh, it's not working. So he went, all right, well, let's do some more. And I, so I took some more in, mate, and I just went deep i you just i just did what was what he was calling it was just shadow work where you actually look at the shadow so the part of you that is the emotional the, the traumatized child the you see like the, where the hurt that has been happening to you i just saw that i was plugged into the internet day in day out and it was it was destroying me it was oh. destroying me it was destroying my capacity to love my capacity to be open my capacity to be a good human being you know, and you just go like, oh, because I'm always performing. And, you, and it just showed me that that really drains you. And it, and it also said to me that, because I saw cancer, I literally saw cancer. And it said, if you do not look after yourself, if you don't start to actually eat right, live right, sleep right, you are going to get really, really, really ill. And I remember, so as I came out of this, and the, the guy said to me, he was just like, how do you feel with it? And I said, if I knew it was going to be this difficult, I wouldn't have done it. And the second part of the the, the ceremony, he gave me this tobacco, which the native the native people use in South America. And so it was kind of like snuff. He goes, right, put one up there. Went, and I it just I just felt a bit unpleasant, a bit weird. And I'm like, I don't feel anything. And he goes, and he goes, right, we're going to put the second lot up there. Close the nostril, sniff, and, went, and at that point. Everything went black, and I just saw these orange squiggles in front of me, and everything. And then I just felt myself like my eyes going, my arms going back like in a crucifix, and I felt myself slowly sinking down like that. Fucking hell! Yeah, and until I was underneath the table, and I had literally no control over my body, and I was just lying flat, and I felt myself die. I experienced death. What the fuck, mate? That's deep, man. You're not just like when you just think what death is, but actual literal death. And I remember halfway through, I was like, I can't take this. I've got to put my head up. And I put my head up, but I couldn't keep it up. And then my head just went back on the floor and went bang. And what it taught me is the most profound thing that I've ever learned, which is that death is a fundamental part of life, which we are all going to go through. And it isn't something to be feared. It's the as as one we interviewed a pediatric uh, former pediatric uh, palliative care doctor. So this guy cared for dying kids, and he said that death is the last great adventure, and he's right. It is, and it is the most beautiful, profound spiritual experience that we will all go through, and that it is not to be feared. We shouldn't run from it because it is a part of life. And I remember coming out of it, and because my depressive side of me has always been like, I want to die, I want to fucking kill you, when I go really, really dark. Mm. And I haven't had that again because it was like I got shown, you want to die, motherfucker? Do you want to see what death is? Well, I'm going to show you what death wow, is, that's... and this is it. Oh, 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 man, that's just fucking crazy. It's like, it's, it's like, uh, it's like, why don't they give mushrooms to people that are depressed? Why yeah. don't, do you know what I feel like it's like? It's like, it's like everything that's bothering you is, is fucking, is, is hidden in yeah. your brain. Yeah. And this shit just shows you, this is what's upsetting you, man. This yeah. is it. 
Yeah. So have a look at it. Fucking deal with it. This is yeah. what it is. And I can feel what you're saying about being plugged into the internet. I can literally feel like, I don't know how to describe it, but when I manage to get off my, and it's not even that. It's like, if I post a video, I'm still thinking about it fucking yeah. two hours later, right? But if I manage to go, right, today I'm not using it. It's like all the color comes back in and I'm there with my kids and stuff yeah. like that. But it's like, how do you see that? You were shown that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's like they should they should give mushrooms to people on the fucking NHS that are suffering with 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 depression, shouldn't they? Surely. In, yeah, in every well, other culture. Actually... Also, in every other culture throughout history, there's been uses of psychedelics, and they, they we just we've lost connection with it now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And the, actually, this David Knight is leading. I think it's at Imperial College London. He is leading a study. It's his. He's he's an old geezer now. He's one of the sweetest, most wonderful men I've ever met. He's actually uh, leading. Uh, a um a trial using psilocybin, which is the the psychedelic in mushrooms and magic mushrooms, mm. as a treatment for things like addiction, depression, mm. anxiety, and it's looking like it's actually far more powerful and a, an effective way of treating mm. uh, treating that. Because the interesting thing, and the last thing I'll say about the trip, the th one of the things that came out that was most profound for me was, you know, y y in life we have two we have two choices. You can either be a conduit for dark energy, mm. and you know those people, the moment they come in, you go, yeah, yeah. You, you know, it. you feel it. Or you can be light. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you know those people as well, that yeah. the moment they come in, they just, they bring something. They, yeah. they give you energy. They give you joy. They give you light. They give you, and the dark energy is, mm. and you, we, we've both got that within us. So yeah. it's up to you what, what you want to choose, what you want to yeah. put out into the world. And it, there's people who's like, oh, this is a bit fucking Star Wars. And do you know what? I would have fucking said that before mm. I did this. But now, no, man, no. this is this is this is it. Yeah, I can feel it, man. Like more 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 positive stuff's happened to me in the last six months than has happened in ten years, and me trying to resurrect my career through through me just doing positive things. It's definitely, yeah, of course, yeah, it's definitely true, man. That's deep, man. Fucking hell. What um, we got to finish up. But what um, I love the stuff you said on mindset. Uh, have you ever met Jordan Peterson? Yeah, I have. Well, yeah, yeah. I've met. We've done two remote interviews with him, and then I met him in person very briefly. What? what just because I'd love to meet him. What did you take from that? I'm, he's he, wow. I think he's. I think he's a positive role model for men. Mm, he is. He and, is. And um, what? What did you take from that? What did you think? Uh, I really like Jordan. I think. Um, I don't know how he copes with the amount of stick that he gets. Yeah, that's why he's quite emotional. I think he's yeah. bearing a lot. Yeah, he is bearing a lot. He the, the stick that he's getting, the things that people say about him, that he's a bad person and all of that. I don't get any of that from Jordan. I think I, he came across as a really lovely guy. I remember talking to him and he was like, I'm going to do a really bad impersonation. But he goes, <laughs> you know, people say that I sound like Kermit the Frog. <laughs> and then I heard myself on a podcast. And I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. And, and you know, when the moment he said that to me, I thought, you're all right. Yeah, you can yeah. take the, if you can take the piss out of yourself, I doubt Hitler could take the fucking piss out yeah. of himself. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, um, you know, there's, there's a lot. But look, listen, when you're, when you're, when you're spitting facts, especially uh, facts at the moment that are trying to get twisted. I mean, I saw, I saw one of the, one of the MPs. I can't, I can't remember what it was. I was listening to it on mm. LBC. I think it mm. was where, you know, a guy called in and he, and he said, look, why are you asking MPs? what a woman is why are you asking mps you know what what would you you know what is a woman and yeah. what do you think of transgender thing because i'll tell you the truth 99 percent of the general public especially the working class public could not give a fuck yeah what, what people think a woman is what we care about is how much our mortgages are going yeah. up because of the fucking interest rates and not being able to heat or eat or the cost of living crisis and shit like that 
And the reason why politicians are getting asked this stuff, okay, there is a lot going on with, um, you know, safe spaces for women. And that concerns mm. me having two daughters and stuff like that. But the truth of the matter is, is it's just a trap, isn't it? To mm. fucking, to entangle people that have got logical fucking ideology or whatever. Right. Mm. And I feel like that's the road that he's really, they're really trying to fucking crucify him on it, on that stuff. Isn't yeah. it? So it's sad when really all he's trying to do is empower, like the, the most positive stuff. Like I had a quote from him and it, maybe it's a good thing to finish on and I can get something from you on it. Um, on what you would say um, to to anyone out there, because I know that from the comments of this podcast, mm. we get a lot of people that are watching it that are trying to better themselves. Mm -hmm. They're trying to get a stronger mindset, and the pure fact that you once decided that you wanted to go sober and you did, and you've achieved such fucking amazing things since you have. Um, one thing that Jordan Peterson said once is he said, "If you want to better your life, is take a take sit on the end of your bed." And think long and hard about the things you're doing that you know you shouldn't do, mm -hmm. right? And then have a chat with yourself about it and you won't like, you know, ask mm -hmm. yourself questions about it and you won't like the answers and then try and change them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's powerful because that's that's the beginning of self-help, you yeah. know? What advice would you give, and we can finish on this, what, what advice would you give to anyone out there that's struggling to get out of uh, mental blockages or a rut or stop drinking or an unhealthy relationship with drink or drugs or just, just can't get out of a situation they're stuck in. What you are going through is temporary. It may not feel like it. It may feel like you. this is going to be permanent and this is all that your life is, but I promise you it isn't. I promise you right now that what you're going through is a moment. It's all it is. It's just a moment. And like all moments, it will change. Think about what you need to do in your life to improve it and be brutally honest with yourself. Mm. If you're overweight, go to the gym. If you're not eating right, change that. But I promise you that every single day you get up in the morning, you think to yourself, you know what? I'm going to do my very best to do the best that I can today. And some days it will be less and some days it will be more. And you, you're not going to be perfect and we're all human and we're all flawed and we're all fragile and we, and we mess things up. But I promise you, if that every single day you think to yourself, how can I be better than yesterday? How can I improve? Look at yourself mm. and look at the things that you that didn't go well for you and stop making excuses and go, right, why didn't that go well for me? Mm. How can I learn? I promise that if you do that every single day, every single day you will get better. And that is incremental. And eventually, a year, two years, three years down the line, you're going to look back at it, at the situation that you're in, your situation will be completely different in ways that you haven't possibly dreamed of and you won't be able to recognise yourself. That's powerful, man. Thank you so much. No, brother, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, man. And no, listen, great. where can they find you on Instagram? Uh, they can find me on Instagram at Francis J. Foster, Twitter at Francis J. Foster. If you want to uh, watch Trigonometry, yeah. it's Trigonometry uh, across uh, Trigger Pod or just type in the word Trigger, N-O-M-E-T-R-Y on, mm. on YouTube. You can follow us there on the podcast. Yeah. And it's been a pleasure, brother. I it's loved it. It's been brilliant. It's been brilliant. Thank you so much for coming. And um, yeah, Trigonometry, go and check it out. That's the fucking big one go and check it out thank you so much mate thank you. Dan. cheers Woo, watch out